Poetry night. And that is most impressive. So uh, I won't bother to surmise at all, but it should be quite a treat. Please welcome to the stage, Jared Paul. Quiet lightning deep in the middle of your chest. Can't see it, but it's here. Testing glass, waiting for lid to loosen for its turn. Like a beat, bouncing out of the cafe down the next block, the next city or state, even when we aren't close enough to hear, even when there is no sound, a pulse. It's still alive and breathing thing doesn't just stop simply because a band a thousand miles away has left the stage or the volume dial on a stereo is turned off. It still pounds its mass into the silence behind the sun. Every note that has ever been struck is still going, still exists somewhere the universe full of magic. One day, the beats will consume all the space there is to breathe. We will hear the crescendo like a hundred million tidal waves crashing at once. Looking at me, you might not know that I'm a magician. That letters cast spells in the imagination, pull pictures out of ears and set them to dance so real that the face on the water comes to life. Reflection becomes protagonist and the original a voyeur. What is happening on the outside is still technically real time, but the universes within are now the only recognizable reality. If you concentrate on these things at night, in your bed till they put you to sleep. It's called dreaming. We can do it here on a well-lit stage in front of a room full of strangers. It's called magic. The sound of this voice is a paintbrush in your head, smoothing all static to a clean sheet. You can snatch a sparrow out of the sky, fly its quivering frame down to sing from the lowest hanging branch of your favorite tree. Remind us all where to keep our eye. That no light is so small, its flame may extinguish without the secret heart of the forest taking note. Incantation can stain the sun purple, send multitudes of magenta, silver bars beaming down to penetrate every pane of a towering glass high-rise, Transmogrify the stale air surrounding a hundred stuffy office cubicles to the quiet majesty of a meadow at dawn. Words of power will lift the sentience right out of your chest, set to hover somewhere near the ceiling, staring down at the meat suit seated in the chair below. 
Shit, they can teleport an entire room full of meat suits from the soft darkness of a performance space down to a crowded subway car attached to a train, racing through tunnels at 60 miles per hour like a giant earthworm beneath a dying city. Certain combinations of syllables slip behind the control panel, load reels onto the old-fashioned projector in the attic, shining stories of past, present, and possible futures clear as day across the smooth canvas fixed at the back of your eyelid. Listen, you hear the whirring motor buzz, click, film strip, traveling along metal guides as each tiny frame is brought before the light. Thank you very much. I just got off a seven and a half hour Greyhound, um, and I am really happy to be off the bus and in this room and here tonight with all of you. I performed at Poetry Night in Bellingham uh, twice many years back, but since then I've done a lot of touring with my band, and we didn't get many opportunities to come back here. The timing just didn't work out, um, but I, I really love the reading here. I love that after all this time, it's still uh, straight poetry-based, um, and I'm going to do my best to incorporate poetry with performance and all that good stuff. Um, but if you are feeling alive tonight, and if you believe in the power of poetry uh, and direct action and the oral tradition to change the world, even though we're a small group here tonight, when I say how alive, I would let me... What's going on, brother? My bus. Oh, I took the bus from Portland, Oregon today. Yeah. You know, kind of traveling around, doing some shows and things. This is actually the, the seventh show in nine days. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be doing pretty good tomorrow when I get to sleep as late as I want. I am still young. It feels good to be a young outlaw, I promise you. Where's your show? It's here, right now. Tomorrow, there's no show. Tomorrow, I'm sleeping as late as I want. Um, so, uh, you know, it feels good to be off the bus and alive and here. And like I was saying before, if you believe, because I honestly believe with all my heart, in the power of the oral tradition to change the world. It's not new. It's so much older than Poetry Slam. It's so much older than Beat Poet. It's so much older than Robert Frost. It's so much older than Shakespeare. It goes all the way back to the beginning of human existence, around campfires, underneath the full moon on the beach. I would argue that it's never stopped being one of our most effective means of catharsis, of expression, of communication. And we are a part of that very long and unbroken chain of the oral tradition. You believe in that power to change the world. When I say how alive, I would like for you to scream back, too alive, like you mean it. I said, how alive? Too alive! Good. How alive? Too alive! 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 Sharks swarm, but I'll never swim for sure. Let them come. Let them come. I've sharpened my tongue. Not scared of the deep, ain't afraid to see blood. Others pulled off the road, headed for home, sunk to the bottom, couldn't find a way to float low. Oxygen closed like a vice upon their throat. No one hears a scream that can't survive on what it wrote. But I'm still in the game, 
Castles on the board, crashing the door, Forge, Greyhound Pass, that one back on tour. You can laugh, but it's funny if you want to. <laughs> Strapped for war, merch in the bag, food packed back for more. Lying in my throat with a fire to feed. Explode out the bottle when the throttle released. Small man, sharp teeth, much dirt undone and leaves to go before I sleep. Now my father says, when are you going to get rich and make it? <laughs> Never! <laughs> I ain't like the type of shit that make you famous. But I get national press for protest arrests. I incite the type of shit that might make you famous. My song is a deep sea alien that would explode in people's ears if Payola ever brought it to the surface of a top 40 playlist. I ain't faking. It's worth more than they could ever fucking pay me. Who could own a tree like a native, not gangster, still the FBI hate me for being that rat who made it through the maze and never took the cheese when they gave it. It's amazing. I'm amazing. <laughs> White trash ain't supposed to study wages. No. <laughs> they want us poor, drunk, dumb, and making babies hooked on sports, God, porn, keep it brain dead. But I made it out the matrix. Native healers taught me how to shape shift, how to study race, class, and what the state is. I know capital is just exploited labor, and there's a whole lot more, but that's the basics. War is for profit, not national safety. Training youth in genocide for a paycheck. I found the abyss before I knew what it was. Now I can't look away until we break it. But we gonna make it. I can taste it. Never been closer to making these type of changes. And I'm afraid, but I can't look away. If that's what it take, man. Class war. So they put me in a fucking jail cell. But I don't want to be in no jail cell. Thank you. Can we just together as a group, even if you're not a self-identifying anti-capitalist, can we just can, can we just say hallelujah? Can, can we just say socialism is not a dirty word? Can we just say that together? Like, just to put it out there. And put it together. On the count of three. One, two, three. Socialism is not a dirty word. Hallelujah, it feels good. I'm going to dedicate uh, this next piece to all my anti-capitalist, socialist, syndicalist, uh, communist, anarchist comrades. Um, and then, you know, uh, iterated organized and continue to keep this shit going. I, I think we're in the middle of the most radical decade since uh, the 60s. It's irrefutable from the Arab Spring to Occupy, executive strikes, content and austerity fights throughout uh, Europe, uh, China, Central and South America, and I believe in the power of direct action. Um, you know, I believe in the power of voting, kind of. Um, I think it's the least that we Really, 
choices, and there's both two sides of the same coin. Writing letters to senators and representatives can have some effect. Um, you know, scheduling meetings and talk therapists can have some international effect. Really, people's movement, whether it's civil rights, labor rights, women's rights, um, you know, uh, all movements throughout you know, our history, their power has come from mass action. It was 1 a.m., and we had no business on the road. The weather reports that snow and freezing rain all night without a chance of clearing for the next day. When we set off from Providence, the storm was already coming down so hard we couldn't see more than 15 feet in front of the van. But it was the 40th anniversary of the 1967 march on the Pentagon. We'd been planning the church for Nobody wanted to back out. Highway was scarcely plowed for nearly the entire stretch of road that connected Rhode Island to Virginia. Cars were skidding out of control all around us, and the pavement was buried in white. As swirling gusts battered the windshield, I was acutely aware of the six other lives in the van for whom I was now responsible. I had never driven for over 200 miles straight, fucking 35 miles per hour before. Even at a crawl, time passed quick. Part of it was my intense concentration on the road and keeping as much distance in between us and any other moving vehicle on it as possible. Part of it was everyone talking about the war. Part of it was just a very tangible sense of mission. We were all invested in something we believed in. It felt important. We saw many accidents. The saddest ones were the flipped-over semi-truck, mangled and twisted. All I could think was, fuck. <laughs> I know there's no God, but I feel like praying anyway. So while still vigorously scanning the road, that part of my mind slipped down to the panic room in my heart, prayed to my mom, that I do sometimes Dear Paula, beloved strength and earthly mother, thank you for the day which you have given me, for the breath in my lungs, the strength in my mind. Please, Mom, don't let any of these truckers have died lonely and frozen. They should have been home with their family. Please, let the medics have gotten them inside. Let them be wrapped in clean blankets of a warm hospital. for no more accidents for anyone. I pray for an end to war and occupation. I pray for the mothers, the children, the families destroyed by the bullets and bombs my tax dollars paid for. Landscapes fall past outside my windshield, and I continue to regard the ice covered highway with open suspicion, excessively scanning the lane, ready for anything. Gave the wheel over to Alan from New Jersey. 
tried to sleep without much success. He split toll fare, took turns pumping gas. Being in those truck stops reminded me of being on tour, waking up in some strange place in the middle of the night, not knowing what time it is or even what state you're in. I thought of Tom and I thought of Francis, their faces clear in my mind. I wondered if their plane had landed in Texas yet. If they thought of me when they were out on the road, the road is a monster, Frank says. It chews us up and spits us out. We're all lucky any time we make it back home in one piece. Because the road doesn't care whether you're a family in a station wagon, a traveling salesman, or a touring musician. One long haunted house. The floor and the walls can come alive at any second. Like any stretch of the interstate can just open right up into some filthy monster mouth and swallow you and your friends whole in one bloody frame-twisted, glass-busting gulf. With Godspeed, you truckers. Your vans packed full of low-budget, independent artists. You small families making a big move. You protest kids. You poorly ventilated cargo bays crossing borders full of hopefully soon-to-be citizens. You night crossers. May the giant remain asleep beneath your tires. Your destination meet your expectations like a victory riot at dawn. Amen. So I'm uh, I'm working on a, a manuscript. Um, so so far past deadline. Hopefully it will be out this time next year. Uh, I'm probably going to read two pieces from that, um, and then we'll check in and see where we are. Um, you know, National Poetry Month. Um, yeah, we can make noise. In that. You know, I'm on the road. Uh, I have about 20 or 25 events. Um, a lot of things have gone my way. I'm very grateful for the opportunity that I have. Some shows that I thought were going to happen did not happen. Um, and, you know, I, I promise you I don't make anything in life um, so small too much. Uh, but I make it my way. That said, I'm trying to sell somewhere around sold-out show that I threw, and Mike's all over the room, kind of recorded the sound, or like being in the same vein as like a George Carlin album, or like a live comedy album, here's the interaction between the two crowds, and the live and it's real, but it's probably the future that I'm definitely going to see. Last month, 18 years and 30 days that I've been vegan. 
how many folks here are conscious on the board kind of by the means of the So, but that said, how many of us are there? Do you get a bit All right, we're about 10% of the room. I like Yeah, you're high five. You the room. So, uh, this is called Pro Protein Feedback Loop in the manuscript. The manuscript is going to have a, a bunch of short poems, a bunch of personal essays, uh, some actual social essays, and then descriptions that involve the research. And thank you, Bernie, for the publishing. So, when I was young, my sister and I would watch the classic holiday movie, A Christmas Story, over and over. All Ralphie, the main character, wants for Christmas is a Red Ryder BB gun. But no matter how many times he asks, he's repeatedly told, you can't have one of those, you'll shoot your eye out. His mother warns him, his teacher too, even the mall Santa. In one scene, Ralphie's teacher hands back the Christmas essay in which he has described the gift he's hoping to receive with a C-plus and a warning in glaring red ink, you'll shoot your eye out. Ralphie is so beside himself with frustration, he hallucinates his mother and teacher have conspired against him. They appear in his mind as the wicked witch of the West and an evil court jester, delighting in his rejection and singing, You'll shoot your eye out, you'll shoot your eye out. For thousands and thousands of vegans and vegetarians out there, the question, what do you do for protein? yields the exact type of delusion-inducing deja vu. One can even hear it in the same nursery rhyme cadence. What do you do for protein? What do you do for protein? Sometimes the question is asked as though it's a smoking gun in the case against our failing health. Some unseen glitch in the armor of vegan diet philosophy yet to be considered. You know, I'm worried about your diet. Sure, like to know what you do for protein. <laughs> the sentiment is expressed with an air of casual concern, but we always feel a certain anxiety bubbling below the surface. To us, it sounds much more like, You're scaring me! <laughs> You're right about this diet stuff, I'm gonna have to reconsider everything I thought I knew about food. And if I have to reconsider everything I thought I knew about food, then I have to reconsider everything I know about life. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Can we just agree that being vegan is dangerous? I think it's time we add a little meat back into your diet, don't you? Other times, it's a condescending alpha male. Inquiring. I know you got it all figured out, wise ass. Let me ask you this. What do you do for <laughs> Often, the question is posed with a shocked curiosity. Holy shit, I just realized you're totally boycotting the building block of life. How are you alive? Is it magic? I mean, what do you do for protein? 
From time to time, it's even thrown out there as a misguided attempt at small talk. What better conversational place filler is there when speaking to someone with a plant-based diet? So, you're vegan, huh? How's that work? I've always kind of wondered. You'll shoot your eye out, you'll shoot your eye out. So here is the answer to the $10 million question, what do vegans and vegetarians do for protein? <clears throat> Black beans. Brown beans. Red beans. Marble beans. Lime beans. Kidney beans, pinto beans, soybeans, soy milk, almond milk. Rice milk, soy yogurt, hemp, hemp milk, chickpeas, hummus, tahini, lentils, peas, split peas, snap peas, tofu, tempeh, chia seeds, flax seeds, sunflower seeds, peanuts, cashews, almonds, peanut butter, walnuts, cashew butter, almond butter, sunflower seed butter, potato skins, quinoa, brown rice, avocado, spirulina, spinach, kale, broccoli, miso, and a whole bunch of other shit. Rest assured! <laughs> Curious uncles. <laughs> Overly aggressive girlfriends, fathers. <laughs> partners, best friends. Offended grandmas. Crossfit bros. <laughs> teachers. Facebook trolls. Coaches. Dudes who watch too much man versus food, harassing me at the merch booth after shows, and whatever NSA agents might be perusing this document now, I get my protein. I got more protein than I know what to do with. I see the FDA recommended allowance every day of the week without even trying. There are vegan bodybuilders, MMA fighters, and triathletes. The deer doesn't eat meat. Yet its leg muscles are strong enough to jump its full body weight over a seven-foot fence or literally kick your head off of your shoulders. <laughs> yeah. There are completely vegan gorillas that weigh up to 400 pounds and can flip cars over by themselves. Hippopotamus dogs have been known to crush lion skulls like milk cartons. Elephants and rhinos have the raw strength to topple small buildings to the ground with nothing other than the steel in their bones and the sweat of their brows. No need to worry about us herbivores in the protein department. Levels are at an all-time high around these parts, I promise you. Don't even get us started on vitamin D. <laughs> This is called Boys Don't Kiss. Dad, moderately homophobic, would occasionally let the family know that gay folks were going against the Bible, that most were perverts and few could be trusted. Home from my first and only year of college, my silver nail polish, large gauge earrings, and bleached hair Made him nervous. <laughs> What's next, he said. Are you going to start wearing a dress? Probably not, but who knows. 
Mind if I feel like it? I replied, reducing my broadest dreams. You be careful. It's not what you think, Jared. You might say they're your friends, but a lot of them have ulterior motives. My gay friends are fine, Dad! <laughs> There's a lot of confused people out there, Jared. Up to this point, the sparring had been playful. But he was seriously concerned that his only son had gone off to school and come back with some funny ideas. I genuinely wanted him to fuck off, to get over his patriarchal Christian programming and be the good person that I knew he was. What my father didn't realize was that I had already considered it all. Imagine what it would be like to be penetrated by a man, the whole one feel his lips on my body, or mine on his, and understood that attraction was as natural as sunlight or gravity, that folks loved and lusted after whomever set their hearts or hormones in motion, that it was nothing to fear, and under the right circumstances, anything is possible. We were standing on the front porch. Some of my friends had gathered in to listen. Careful, Dad. You're painting me into a corner. You see that, right? What do you mean? Well, there are boys out there willing to kiss me, you know? If you keep this up, maybe I'll invite someone home. They might be willing to make out with me right here on this porch. I thought you said you weren't gay. Maybe I'll explore. You wouldn't. Continue making these comments, and that's exactly what you'll get. Me, touching tongues with a dude, right here on these steps, just to see what it's like. And to prove to you that the world doesn't end when two guys kiss. He threw his hands in the air, said I was full of shit, and went back inside. Dad, never ask about my nail polish again. Sometimes, definitely better to be feared. <laughs> True story. Three months verbatim. Speaking of which, we're going to feel it out here. Uh, this might be the last one. Uh, we'll see after it's over. Take a temperature check. Um, as I said before, I'm so excited to be here. Um, I know that the Poetry Night has been running for a long time and with multiple different incarnates. It's always fantastic work that's read here. Um, after going to so many Poetry Slams, I love hearing work that is not performance based. I think the prose and the amazing text that I hear is my fourth time at Poetry Slam over the years. It's awesome. I hope you keep it going. I hope you keep coming back. Um, keep this shit strong. Um, you know, Everybody's story deserves to be told. I don't want you to read a poem or get on stage if you don't feel like it or if it's not what you want to do. But everybody's story deserves to be told. And that's why this shit is matters. Because, you know, when we hear other people speak about their lives and their experience, we learn about our community while we're getting shit off our chest and learning about ourselves at the same time. It's so powerful. We also, our temple creates a safe space for not just hearing these things, inventing, inventing these things, but just defending, you know, 
10 years from now, a lot of the shit that was already uh, sussed out and left out here and agreed to here uh, is what's, you know, what's going to be uh, standard. Safe, safe things that uh, get brought up here, the stories that get brought up here, the stands that people make here are not always popular. Um, they're almost always they wind up you know, on the right side of the street. And that brings me to this point now is that uh, we're here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, one of the whitest areas in the country, if not the world. Um, you know, in my journey, activist, as a socialist, uh, as an animal rights activist, as an environmental rights activist for the last 15 years, I'm going to learn a whole shitload about my own privilege, about my privilege as a citizen, as a, as a male, uh, as a white, hetero, cisgender male uh, in this country, in this society. We live in a white supremacist country. Whether you want to admit that or not, it's coming to a place where most of the country is tested. 95 or higher percent of your uh, education administrators are white. 95% or higher of your corporate businesses. 95% or higher of your judiciary. 95% or higher of the system is set up to benefit them. Average straight, hetero, white dude. I am inseparably a part of white supremacy. Whether I want to be or not.
one. At first, racist and establishment liberals called Martin Luther King a dangerous man. It took so long to prove that Jim Crow was the opposite of equality. Today, even with the internet and decades of accumulated knowledge, why is it so hard to see you cannot solve crime without first solving poverty? Having the largest prison population on the planet, 70% of whom are people of color, is the new plantation system. There are over a million people. There are over a million people in prison right now for victimless crimes, for infractions almost no white person would ever be charged for. There are activists of color doing time for the same social justice actions I take part in regularly. Slavery didn't end. Got repackaged. Two, at first, South Africa's ruling elite and its white middle class called Nelson Mandela a dangerous man, labeled the African National Congress a terrorist organization, as did their U.S. counterparts. It took so long for the world to take an honest look, to acknowledge the brutality, to call apartheid what it was, an intentionally racist denied people their rights and freedoms based solely on culture and the color of their skin. Three, in addition to everything that's happening here in this country, apartheid is happening now in Gaza as the Israeli government and Zionist elite lay siege to 1.8 million Palestinians who've seen their farms and schools shelled to ashes, their people starved and executed, and their homeland brutally converted world's largest open-air penitentiary. Apartheid is happening in the West Bank as Zionist settlers build on Palestinian land to support their government and mine. How proudly they testify to the camera. Palestine never existed. God gave us this land. It said so in the Bible. There are many Arab nations. This is Jewish land. Palestinians who must leave. Jewish only roads connect illegal Zionist settlements, cutting Palestinian towns off from one another, literally segregating the land. Separate laws, separate water, separate schools, separate hospitals, separate rights. Four. This time, the world is watching. 138 of 193 UN member states recognize the pre-1967 border the West Bank and Gaza, sovereign nation of Palestine. But if the U.S. and the Israeli governments have their way, 50 years from now, Palestine will be reduced to a few low-income neighborhoods. This is singular state of Israel. My government is sponsoring genocide. I do not know how to stop it. In the last four weeks of conflict, 1,850 Palestinians on their own land by the Israeli Defense Force. Over 10,000 Palestinians have been severely wounded. 500,000 have lost their homes. By contrast, 60 Israeli soldiers have been killed while invading Gaza, as have three civilians, one of whom while bringing supplies to the Israeli missile station. This is a war massacre. Bombing residential neighborhoods Hospitals, mosques, and schools is a war crime. Whether 
living in Godbrook instead of a white male writer living in America, I'd probably already be dead. If I were a black or Latino social justice organizer or citizen or any person of color living in South Providence, South Chicago, South Central, East St. Louis, Detroit, Oakland, Baltimore, New Orleans, Birmingham, or anywhere else in the prison state of my country, I'd probably already be dead. Instead, I was born into citizenship and the empire's most highly valued figures, gender, preference, and orientation, like winning numbers to a lottery I never had to pay for or enter, drawn from a box stuffed to a ticket my name on. Thank you very much. I think that's a great place to end. We still have some open mic left to go. I want to thank you so much for listening and, and inviting me out here and giving me your time. It's an honor. Anytime anybody is willing to read one of your poems, let alone getting 30 people to actually listen to you do a whole set, it's never lost on me. I'm very grateful. Uh, it means a lot. I know we have more poems in the open mic after this portion of the show. I hope you stick around. Uh, I'll be back by the merch booth to talk about socialism or veganism or atheism or give hugs or listen why I'm